Have you ever dined at a nice restaurant and ordered a plate of fat? Medium, of course, with a side of fat, a fat salad with fat salad dressing, and a big glass of fat to wash it all down. Of course you haven't, and neither have we. But hopefully, after listening to this podcast, more of you will be aware of the fat you are consuming and whether or not it's the healthy or unhealthy kind. Did you know that back in the early 1900s, Americans ate an average 18 pounds of butter a year? That's enough to make it a food group. That's now been reduced to four pounds per year. But just how did we replace those 14 pounds? Well, have you ever seen a tub of, wow, I can't believe it's not butter? Of course, it is not butter, it's chemicals. Americans need more of the right fat in their diets. And today we are going to talk about healthy fats in fact, any more of the good fats can actually help you lose weight. By the way, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you might want to share this podcast with your parents because they were the ones who taught you that eating non-fat is the best way to stay healthy. I'm Laurie Sobelson of Bob's Red Mill, and this is the Food is Medicine podcast. Joining me, as always, are Dr. Courtney Jackson and Dr. Julie Briley. Good to have you back in the studio, ladies. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Fat is one of those topics that is regularly in the news, often with what seems to be very confusing recommendations. Courtney, can you explain why this topic of eating fats is so confusing for consumers and how you promote healthy fats in your fame series? So the subject of fat in our diet is incredibly controversial, and this is one of the reasons why we have a 12-week Food is Medicine Every Day workshop series because it takes time to unlearn some negative messaging about whole foods, specifically fat. In the last few decades, we've heard conflicting messages about whether to eat a low-fat diet, a diet rich in unsaturated fats, or a diet low in saturated fats. And every year, the information dispensed to the public is changing. In our Food is Medicine Everyday series, we aim to demystify some of this confusion because healthy fat is good for us. And many standard American diet eaters are hesitant to include healthy fat on their plates. So I wanna begin with a few basics to clarify some of this confusion about healthy fat before we dive deeper into the subject. First, fats are an essential nutrient to include in a daily diet. And healthy fat can be both saturated and unsaturated, as long as it's found in whole foods from both plants and animals. It's really important that we get fat in our diet. We need dietary fat to absorb important vitamins, fat-soluble vitamins like vitamins A, D, E, and K. Not many people know this, but your brain is surrounded and protected by fat. So the fat you eat plays a role in this. Your heart prefers saturated fat as fuel. We consider fat to be a slow fuel in our cooking program as compared to those simple, highly processed carbohydrates, which we now know can easily disrupt blood sugar regulation. And finally, fat just tastes good, and it makes us feel satisfied after we eat a meal. So the best sources of fat to include are those that have been less processed and remain closest to their natural form. Another thing to know is that smoking or overheating fats when cooking will decrease the nutritional benefits of the fat, as well as increase the risk of oxidative damage inside the body. And the role of oxidative damage is one of the reasons, uh, one of the contributing reasons to chronic inflammation that we know relates to other diseases. 
Polyunsaturated fats, of which you're going to learn more about, are at the greatest risk of becoming oxidized compared to those saturated fats due to the differences in their chemical structure, and Dr. Bradley will talk more about that. And oxidation basically means that the fats go rancid or bad due to the fat interacting with oxygen, and cooking or overheating foods can actually speed up this process. That was a great explanation. There's a lot of information there. Julie, Courtney mentioned two words, saturated and polyunsaturated. Can you give us an overview of what the differences of those two fats are? Yes, I do think it's important to understand a little bit of this more complicated vocabulary and biochemistry of the fats themselves. To start with, there are two main categories of fats, unsaturated fats and saturated fats. Foods that are high in unsaturated fats are things like olives and olive oil, sesame, walnuts, and avocado, for example. And the oils of these fats tend to be more liquid at room temperature. We'll compare this to saturated fats, which are uh, foods like butter and coconut oil and animal fats like lard or tallow. And these tend to be more solid at room temperature like you would buy a stick of butter or see the more solid coconut oil. And the reason for that difference is has to do with the double bonds. So basically, fats are these long chemical structures of carbon and hydrogen, and saturated fats don't have any double bonds, and that makes them more stable versus an unsaturated fat, which does have a double bond, and that makes them a little less stable. So I'm going to further complicate it and say that unsaturated fats are then broken down into two more categories, monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats. And the mono and poly refer to the amount of double bonds. So mono means one, one double bond, and poly means more than one double bond. So if we're talking about the stability of these fats, we can now see that these polyunsaturated fats with their multiple double bonds are more susceptible to the oxidation at high heat. And why this is important, um, that has to do with the oils that we're buying at the supermarket. So a lot of the more mass-marketed oils, like the vegetable oils, like corn oil and soybean oil and safflower oil, for example, those are rich in polyunsaturated fats. They also tend to be oils that are very highly processed. So they've been already exposed to high heat and oxygen and light in their processing. So these very oils that are high in these um, less chemically stable uh, fats are also already being exposed to high heat, putting them at really high risk of oxidation. So as we talk more about fats, these are things you can keep in mind so that when you're choosing fats, you can say, okay, this is a saturated fat. This is gonna be a little more stable when I'm cooking with it versus uh, an unsaturated fat and especially a polyunsaturated fat. We often hear we need to increase our omega-3 fatty acids in our diet. Some people even will supplement with fish oils. Courtney, do you recommend eating more omega-3 fatty acids? This is becoming a more common recommendation by medical providers to their patients, and it is something we talk about in our FAME series because generally speaking, Americans are eating their polyunsaturated fatty acids out of balance. And Julie mentioned the omega-3s and the omega-6s. So many of us have heard that the omega-3 fatty acids tend to reduce inflammation in the body, and omega-6 fatty acids actually tend to promote inflammation. 
So we do need both of these essential fatty acids, but we need to eat them in balance. And a healthy ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids in the diet has been estimated to be about 4 to 1 to 6 to 1. Um, that's omega-6 to omega-3s. But Americans are eating this way out of balance, around 16 to 1 to 20 to 1 ratio, give, giving us a lot more omega-6 exposure and leading to health consequences associated with that increased inflammation. So you got a brief review of omega-3 rich foods, things like salmon, tuna, sardines, walnuts, and flax, and of course, those highly processed oils that are rich in omega-6, things like corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, and soybean oil. It's important to know the sourcing of these uh, omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids because we can actually then work to improve that ratio. So two things somebody can do, of course, is to first, which we most strongly recommend, is to reduce the amount of omega-6 fatty acids in the diet. And that basically means reducing the amount of highly processed vegetable oils in your diet. Or you can increase the amount of omega-3 fatty acids in your diet. And both of those strategies can actually help to improve that important ratio. I noticed that you didn't mention trans fat, but that is something that I've heard a lot about in the media and also am aware that New York City has even banned trans fats. Julie, can you explain why this is, what this is, and why we need to avoid it? Of course. So like Courtney mentioned, we really need to focus on a balance of fats in our diet. And there aren't many things in our FAME series or as naturopathic physicians that we recommend to avoid completely. However, when we're talking about trans fats, that is one of those things that we recommend that people avoid um, as much as possible. And the reason being is that trans fats rarely occur in nature. Um, the trans fats we're talking about have been made in a laboratory. Scientists figured out that they could take an unsaturated fat and bombard it with hydrogen atoms and it would create a trans fat. And so the reason that they're doing this is they figured out that this creates a fat that doesn't go rancid quite as quickly. So food producers realize if they put trans fats in their food, now they have a very shelf-stable product. Now they can put Twinkies up on the shelf and they'll stay there for many, many years without spoiling. But we also know that they're using very highly processed oils to make the trans fats. And while it may create a cheaper food product, it's obviously coming at a cost to your health. We now know that trans fats do increase inflammation in the body, and they've been linked to both heart disease and Alzheimer's disease. Most of the major medical associations, including the American Heart Association and the American Diabetes Association, all agree that trans fat should be completely avoided in the diet because of this negative impact on both the brain and the heart. That said, there are still a lot of trans fats in our foods that are in the grocery store right now. And so if you recall, we talked about this a little bit in label reading. And so if you're looking at a food label in that nutrition facts section of the label, it will often say zero grams of trans fats. So food companies don't have to label um, that there are trans fats in there until there is more than 0.5 grams per serving of trans fats. So again, like we mentioned, you really have to look at that ingredient list and look for the words partially hydrogenated oil. And that will signify that there, in fact, is a trans fat in that food. 
And so even if you're just having a little bit in multiple food products, it does add up to create inflammation in the body. So once again, a good reminder to know what's in the food that you eat and that you choose. I'm glad that you mentioned that trans fat, fat is also labeled as partially hydrogenated oil because that can be confusing at times. So both of those terms are ones we want to avoid then. Yes. So now that we understand the different types of fats, Courtney, can you talk to us about which oils are best to cook with? Yes. So natural low processed fats have actually been part of traditional diets for a long time. And I think it's really important that we revisit this list of fats because many of us have lost touch with what actually is a healthy natural or low processed fat. So this list includes things like butter, beef and lamb tallow, lard from pigs, chicken, goose and duck fat, unrefined coconut and palm oil, cold-pressed extra virgin olive oil, nuts and seeds, and then fish oil, I'd say, including cod liver oil. And so we've mentioned over the last century, the food industry has learned to extract oils from plants like soy, sunflower, safflower, rapeseed, which is another word for canola and corn, using machinery, which often uses high pressure and high heat, these are potential causes of damage to those uh, polyunsaturated or sensitive fatty acids. Or they may use chemical extraction using hexane or even bleach. So you, I, I'm going to interrupt here real quick. So I just want to make sure our listeners understand the term you used was rapeseed, not grapeseed. You no, got it. You, rapeseed, okay. yes, is another word for canola oil. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And Lori, we know through research that overheating these plant-based polyunsaturated fats from the soy and canola, sunflower and corn is associated with inflammatory processes like atherosclerosis and inflammatory joint disease. So what oils and what fats can we cook with for the greatest health benefits? First of all, focus on low process oils and pay attention to smoke points I think we mentioned perhaps in an earlier podcast, but if we haven't yet, I'd like to reiterate that many times when you buy a bottle of oil or I'd say even a glass jar of oil that you plan on cooking with, read that label because they will often indicate to you what the smoke point is. And they will indicate to you how to properly use that oil, whether it's for low heat, medium heat, or even things like dressings. So let that label support uh, your decision with how to use it. For higher temperature cooking, consider those saturated fats, those stable saturated fats like coconut oil, butter, lard, and even avocado oil has a high smoke point and is a low processed oil. For lower temperature cooking or cold Uh, let's say cold dressings, consider using things like extra virgin olive oil, walnut oil, or actually that avocado oil is also a delicious option. And then you want to try to limit or avoid those highly processed oils, the soy oil, the corn oil, the sunflower and the safflower oil. And remember, vegetable oil is another word usually for soy or corn oil. 
Good points. Boy, I I know that coconut oil, avocado oil, those are really popular right now. And so I appreciate your pointing at, you know, to those are good to use for higher temperature, the coconut oil is, and then to use the avocado oil in place of canola oil. And it's such a great oil for salad dressings, like you had mentioned. So good information. People talk about canola oils being high in healthy omega-3 fatty acids. Julie, that doesn't seem right from what I just heard Courtney say. Can you give us a little more information about canola oil for cooking? Sure. So this topic of canola oil being a healthy choice is a really, really common question in our workshops. Canola oil is often marketed as having a high omega-3 fatty acid content, which as we know is often anti-inflammatory. But you do have to look beyond that marketing and think about the source of the canola oil and the production, um, specifically in regards to canola oil. So um, Dr. Jackson mentioned that canola oil actually comes from the rapeseed plant with an R, not grapeseed plant which in fact is an inedible plant in its natural form because it contains this um, compound called erucic acid, which is actually toxic for humans. So back in the day, rapeseed oil was actually used as um, fuel for lamps and actually as an industrial lubricant. And then in the early 1970s, they figured out a way to breed the plant to contain a lower amount of that toxic compound, which actually led to its name canola, which stands for Canadian Oil Low Acid. But to extract the oil from these rapeseeds, which are actually very tiny, a really high amount of processing must, must happen. So often they're using chemical extraction, which you may have heard of hexane, a petroleum-based product that's often used in oil production. They're also using high heat and often bleaching the oil before it even gets into the bottle. So talking again about these sensitive omega-3 fatty acids, they've already been exposed to high heat and bleaching and chemicals. So the very thing that canola oil is marketed for, the omega-3 fats, have often been destroyed before you're even cooking with it. So yes, we do think that people should increase their omega-3 fatty acids in the diet, but no, we don't think that canola oil is the way to do that. We would rather people increase their omega-3 fatty acid intake through more natural and whole food sources, such as ground flaxseed, chia seeds, walnuts, and egg yolks from pasture-raised chickens, as well as grass-fed beef and a number of types of fish. In general, it sounds like there is much more to the fat discussion than simply whether it is good or bad for us. Courtney, how do you help us understand that eating fat doesn't make you fat, as we've been told in the past. All right, get ready, listeners. Eating healthy, low-processed fat is good for you and your waistline. When we avoid all fat in the diet, we tend to eat more simple carbohydrates to fill up, which can definitely contribute to weight gain. Since 1977, the U.S. public health has recommended to reduce fat intake to 30% of daily calories. Their reasoning at the time was to reduce the rate of heart disease. And now we know 30 to 40 years later that we actually haven't done a very good job of that as a country. The food producers responded to this recommendation by replacing fat with carbohydrates, often simple sugars or highly processed grains. The increased carbohydrate intake, as we all know by now, actually increases our blood sugar, which stimulates insulin and which does promote fat cell growth leading to obesity. 
So when we avoid fat in the diet, it doesn't lead to a smaller waistline, and quite frankly, your food doesn't taste as good. So I encourage listeners to grab a food product that has a fat-free or a low-fat label on it and read that ingredient list and see what has been added in to compensate for the loss of the flavor from the fat, and often it's going to be some kind of added sugar and or salt. So remember, fat provides slow fuel for your day and helps you feel satiated. And the bottom line is that you can learn to optimize the quality and quantity of fats you cook with and eat with to support a healthy metabolism. Once again, we want to leave you with helpful tips in today's to-go box. Eating fats in the diet is important, but the focus needs to be on healthy fats, foods that contain fats and oils that have not undergone extensive processing. We also need to pay attention to the smoke point of oils and use them properly to avoid oxidation of the fat, which increases the potential for inflammation in the body. Our body needs fat for healthy cell membranes, to produce hormones, to feel full and provide slow fuel source for the day ahead, and also to make food taste good. When we take fat out of our food, then salt, sugar, and chemicals may be added to improve the flavor. Eat healthy fats, nuts and seeds, coconut, olives, butter, eggs, fish, and meat raised in their natural environment and enjoy. Well, we've had a great discussion today on the importance of knowing your fats and oils. We've covered a lot of helpful and important information. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Julie Briley and Dr. Courtney Jackson and also you, our listeners, for joining us today. For more information about today's topic, check out the website at foodasmedicineinstitute.com.